0: All right, Bill Pilzik, welcome to my podcast, man. How are you?
1: Well, thanks for having me, Brett. I do appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm doing well. Just uh, live, living the dream here in Savannah, Georgia.
0: Yeah, you've been a head coach there for a number of years now, right? Where, where yeah, are you
1: at? I think head coach I'm about six years. I've been here in Savannah for about uh, 10 to 11 years. Um, as head, I was assistant coach for a couple of years here uh, as I was getting started back into coaching. I took a few years off to uh, raise the kiddos. Uh, when they were when they were just babies and then once they got back into school uh, the job opened up here at SCAD and my wife was living here in in uh, pooler Georgia so I jumped on that chance to get back into college coaching and eight years later here I am
0: awesome man awesome well I, I will talk about that in a second but you are actually episode 150 on my podcast and hey <laughs> The reason why I wanted you for 150 is because you have one of the greatest fifties in swimming history. Uh, they called it the, I think they called it the upset of the decade back when you beat Alexander Popov at the world championships in 1998.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a, that was a a good swim for me there. And it, 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 I I was not expecting, expecting the, uh, the win there, but it it was definitely, uh, I I do appreciate it. So I I do Alex that,
0: well, I want to dig into that pretty deeply. I want to I want to go into the whole thing, but in terms of just you, let's learn about you a little bit because you have one of the most remarkable stories in in history. Uh, from where you came from to where you ended up, um, pr- pretty amazing. Even even for auburn standards auburn was pretty known back in the day to get on, get these walk-ons come on or get you know these low-level scholarships and david marsh would s- sprinkle some dust on them and they turned turn into these <laughs> things but, um
1: but you yeah smart- I, I saw those scholarship people i did not get scholarship though at auburn <laughs>
0: <laughs> well in terms of where you where you grew up tell us about that how'd you get into swimming and uh what was it like for you
1: um, I'm from a small town in New Jersey, Cape May, New Jersey is where I'm from, and swimming is is not very big there. I actually had to swim in a town that's outside of my town to to drive across to a different location, and I was a I was pretty much a terrible swimmer, um, as far as from where I got to, uh, from where I started a, out of high school, I was only a twenty three point one fifty freestyle uh, yards. Wow! So at seventeen years old, I was, I would not consider that anywhere close to an uh, elite level fifty freestyle. Um, And so to to go from there, there's really no outlet when you're a 23.150 freestyle. Nobody wants to recruit you. I had a real tough time getting into a college or actually finding a college. I, everywhere I applied, I, I I didn't get a phone call back from my home state college, Rutgers. They didn't they didn't call me back. Um, so I started looking at junior colleges, and I found there's a swim program down in Miami. Um, there's one in Indian River as well, but Indian River wouldn't call me back because uh, they, they were, They're obviously a perennial champions, but so I went down all the way down to Miami to swim and at 23. Well, well, tell, one, me that, this.
0: tell me this. Why did you want to swim even in college?
1: It was one of those things where I was really good at it for the level I was at. Like I was, you know, just starting to win the BC championships. I was my high school, uh, all conference. And so I, I really liked to win. Um, and so I, I, just kind of stuck with swimming. I knew swimming was like something I really liked to do. I, I was, I felt like I was good at it. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I had no idea how bad I actually was at the time. Um, but it's like, I didn't even know there was a nationals at 17 years old. I'd never heard of national championships. I had no idea how the Olympic process worked. I didn't know there was Olympic trials. Um, so it was all brand new to me walking into it. I just know I wanted to keep swimming. And uh, one of my lifeguard friends, because I was on the beach patrol in Cape Mexico, it's a beach city. He, he said, hey, if you want to keep swimming and get good, you, you need to go swimming in college. I was like, that sounds like a great idea. I hadn't even thought about college at the time. I was a 1.9 GPA at a high school. It's um, so a pretty terrible uh, grade point average. So I was going to have to sit out if I went to college. Um, so that's why I ended up at, at junior college level. Um, so I, I contacted the coach down there and he's like, sure, come on, walk on. So I walked on to Miami Dade uh, Junior College down in Miami, Florida. Um, and they switched me from my primary events of 200 IM, 100 backstroke in, in high school to 50 freestyle. I actually got to specialize in the 50 because they saw. My 104 100-yard 100 backstroke was not cutting it for yes. college level. Yes, that's, a,
0: that's <laughs> the best coach you ever had right there.
1: You <laughs> <laughs> made a, he made a good decision there.
0: <laughs> Who was that coach?
1: Uh, Peter Prins and Reed Lewis were the coaches down there. Okay, nice. So, uh, there, I, I, I'm sure Peter's not coaching anymore. I'm not sure if Reed's still coaching. But yeah, that was, I was a, a great decision. And I actually started enjoying swimming because it was outdoors. It was in Miami. Um, I was only 17 at the time because I, I was a young freshman. So it was an eye-opening experience to be in college. Um, and, and apparently in college, you don't have to be super popular with the teachers. They'll just give you grades based on your academic performance, which is nice. So I started getting A's a lot. So I got my GPA, GPA up back to like 3.0. Um, and when high school it was 1.9, so it was a popularity contest. So getting there to, to, to actually just be judged on my performance in the classroom it was, was pretty cool as well.
0: So you're not real smart at that
1: stage. You're not real fast, (laughs) (laughs) and and your
0: whole life changed completely after that. But um,
1: yeah, so the the second year in junior college, I just started. I started really growing. I I was only five foot ten in when I first went to college. Um, I was five foot eight when I graduated. Five foot ten that summer. I mean, I hit six foot my second year, and then I was six foot three when I finally uh, won junior college nationals. And then transferred to Auburn, so I finally reached my my peak height at 20 years old. Oh wow! It, it, so you were it just really, really helped bloomer. to fill out. <laughs> very very late bloomer.
0: Okay, okay. So you you start to grow, you start to get faster, you start to um, do your homework, which was good, <laughs> and get the grades.
1: I always did my homework, just never never graded properly. it. <laughs> <laughs> so then
0: That's so then Auburn, like yeah, uh, right, You start to look around and you start to think, well, I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere, um, you know, where I can swim fast and compete, I guess. That's that's what you think. And So how did you end up at Auburn?
1: Yeah, so, so David Marsh was the head coach. He just t- had taken over Auburn. It was his first year. And so he was a junior college as well. He went to Indian River, so he was fast enough to go there. And so he used to go to junior college National. He came down, and I had won the 53 my second year. Um, I, I, I was, I think, sixth place my first year. But I won the second year. And so he talked to the coaches there and, and got me to come up for a recruiting trip over the summer. What
0: was the time um, we you won wanted-
1: him? I went in this, I think the slowest time ever recorded for a win at junior college nationals 21, one. <laughs> so I'd gotten from a 23, one, I dropped two seconds just with that, that growth spurt okay. um, and some dedication to training. So I got down to 21, one good. And then went to Auburn for that first year and, and on my recruiting trip over the summer is it was, it was coach Marsh's first ever year finishing. So he had a whole group there training for the summer. And just the, the second I showed up on campus, he saw, I had an earring, I don't know, it's one of those phases. Um, and he, I mean, the first thing he was like, the earrings coming off, if you're coming to Auburn, just real curt, real like father-like. And I really responded to that. Like I, I needed some structure in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I saw, and he, the first thing he had said to me was aside from take the earring out was I, looking at your stroke, but well, I think you can be a 1950 freestyler. And as a 21, one guy, hearing somebody believe that you can go 19 was just like mind blowing. I, I, so I, I, I was like, yes, I'm definitely coming here. So I turned down I had another uh, option to go to Florida Atlantic University, uh, the only two schools that were actually recruiting me. And uh, so I walked on to Auburn.
0: Awesome. I love it. All right. So in, in terms of turning down a, another place to attend Auburn, I understand David basically made you walk on. And you had to pay you know, everything yourself. That, that would have been a pretty big decision to say, yeah, this is the team I want to go to, even though it's going to cost me a lot of money to be part of it. Right.
1: Yeah, it was it, it. was a. I think I was offered partial scholarship, but it was a Division two school at the time. FAU hadn't gone Division one yet, and so my option was really go Division one, which you know everybody growing up in America knows Div- Division one is is where the best athletes go, um, and so I just wanted to be a part of that, um, and so I just worked it out with my parents to take out a whole lot of loans, um, and just to be able to be a part of a Division one program.
0: Wow, that's a that's a big decision, uh, but but obviously one that paid off in the future. So you get there. Who, who's part of your training group initially? Obviously you go from where you are in Miami to this group in Auburn and, and there's some young hungry sprinters around. Who are they?
1: Uh, we had the, at that time we had uh, Dean Hutchinson was, was uh, in his second year. Uh, so I ended up in his lane cause we had very similar characteristics training wise. Um, Scott Jett was in his, his second year or his first year. Uh, there was Jeff Hike was there, wow. um, Emory Osgood was, was part of the group. So I was kind of thrown in that little lane where it was the sprint, uh, stay out of the way kind of group. Um, so they, they kind of just kept us together. So we ended up being a really, really tight knit group. And my first year I actually had to register. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't really participate on any of the teams, but I, I was thrown into that group that, uh, eventually it ended up calling itself lane eight because we were just kind of like go over there sprinters. We don't know what to do with you. And so we, we were always put in lane eight.
0: How, why'd you have to redshirt?
1: Um, I didn't transfer enough credits over. So junior college, you have to transfer credits to come in. And I I switched majors from a liberal arts degree into exercise physiology. And I didn't have enough physiology coursework. Uh, So I had to do the extra year, um, of getting my classwork back up to become an actual junior for eligibility wise.
0: So from what I understand from that year, you spent a lot of time just wiping the blocks off for the other swimmers. at the. the (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, they actually, uh, my first and second year. I, I, I was the, uh, the the towel boy. So I, I actually got taken to, to, to NCAAs my junior year. Mm. I was the alternate behind, uh, I think, Jeff Hike was the other 50 freestyle guy on the relay. Uh, and so they brought me all the way to NCAAs just in case. And they decided on the day to, to let Jeff have the spot. Um, and so I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to help out the best I can. So I, I took the towel, ran down there um, right before every heat. And I dried off their blocks. So they'd have a nice uh, grip to get to push and not, not slip on that back foot. Because That's something we really worked on was, Back, back in the old school days, we didn't have these fancy wedges. Mm-hmm. Um, so the back foot grip was really important. We worked a lot on having a, a good sticky back foot and always stepping on a towel, stepping on the blocks, making sure that block was dry. Uh, so I really wanted them to do well. So I, I would just go down there and draw the block for them.
0: So other than David Marsh, who, who's on the coaching staff at this time?
1: Uh, so my junior year, Mike Bottom had joined the squad. His brother was there, uh, Richard Bottom. And so Mike came as well. Um, and he was kind of helping out between groups and there was that lane eight group that really didn't have any dedicated coach. Uh, so coach Marsh gave us to Mike bottom and he just ran, ran his magic and he was, he was quite a unique coach. And I, I think obviously he's, he's done fantastic things since he left Auburn as head coach over at Michigan, but he, he, was he's a really good motivator to the point where he would, he would tell us we could do something. We wouldn't believe we could do it. And then he would just take off his shirt and he had a suit on underneath and he would actually jump in the water, race us, beat us and show us that we could have done it. Oh, wow. um, so he's, he's a, he's, he's a really, uh, he's a really motivating coach. So he, he would give us all kinds of, of short sprint stuff, uh, working on that first day cause he, he knew we couldn't finish races, but so he wanted to make us the fastest we possibly could getting out. So we did a lot of work in the 15 meter pool. So Auburn had just built that long 50 meter pool with, with adjustable ball kit. Okay. And so a lot of our workouts would just be in, in the 15-meter pool. We'd spend hours doing 50, 60 starts uh, in a session. I and honestly, that the, I mean,
0: yeah, well, that's really the genesis of sprint freestyle to this day, right? I mean, people weren't doing that back then. That was very unique. That was, that was out of the box, as they call it. But um, you had a group that really changed the face of sprinting, the way that we thought about it, the way that we trained it, the way that we coached it. Really came from that time era, right?
1: Yeah, I think I think Mike was instrumental in and letting that happen because he was able to dedicate just that one small group who could only do fifties, and we would swim up to the hundred. But yeah, it's it's that those short. There is actually no sprint in swimming. I guess that's the that's the thing about our sport is everything is in in track and field wise. There's no hundred. There's only a two hundred meter. So we're we're racing for twenty seconds at our shortest race. Which as an exercise physiologist, that is not a sprint whatsoever. Um, so Coach Bottom would would get us to do actual proper sprints. So we were working on 10 second, absolute all-out sprints, trying to hold our our technique, our, our distance per stroke, but just for the shorter duration. So it really was just it was how we kind of train now for for most of the 50 hundred guys. Um, so that the evolution started with with just that.
0: I was going to say, that's the physiologist coming out of you right there, man. But, um, <laughs> but in, what about in terms of um, resistance work? Because that that's, you know, we didn't do a lot of buckets and towers and, you know, all the types of resistance we do these days for sprinting. That was something new too, right?
1: Yeah, we would, we would find any little thing we could on decks. We'd wear clothes in the water. So a lot of times, uh, obviously, we had a, an awesome strength conditioning coach over at Auburn with, with Brian Karkowska. Um, so we'd go in the gym, we'd do an hour and a half, two hours with him and come right on the pool So It was right across the, the, um, the campus hop in and we'd do some, some ultimate power stuff with, with fins, paddles, t-shirts. Um, and we did have the, the, the small little power racks and we would just try to transition what we're doing in the weight room into the water. And it really started just being effective to, to keep our speed and, and get a little bit more power behind our strokes.
0: Now. What would you say, um, other than just kind of being in the right place at the right time, what are the things that you did well? You know, you, you grew, you matured, but there's obviously some things that you did really well, both in the classroom to get your grades to where they were and um, in, and in, in what you graduated with eventually, you know, top of your class, basically, and then, and then also becoming the swimmer that you are. So what are the things that you kind of instilled in yourself?
1: I think I had really good advice from the same, the same lifeguard who told me to go to, to go to Miami, to, to swim. He'd also told me, you know, if you, if your grades are high, you're going to swim well, because everything's organized in your life. If you're able to concentrate on grades and it's just going to be a a really good, um, kind of, kind of monitor of, of your personal, um, perspective of, of what's important to you. So I, I put mm-hmm. grades first. So I, I, everything I did was all classroom oriented. And once I got that down and I had my, I knew how to study, I figured out the, the syllabus for the, the plan and swimming just was easy. I just kind of did the same thing for swimming coach said we had to be at practice at whatever time we get there 15 minutes early, give yourself 30 minutes afterwards, get some food immediately. So it was just all repetition and having a really good calendar to follow.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and kind, that, of that kind of built on
1: itself of throughout the years. Yeah.
0: And then you get a group of guys around you who are like-minded as well, right?
1: Yeah. It really helped in 90 in 1994 is, is when we all kind of came together. It was that, that was when the, the actual group of like uh, Dean Hutchinson, Scott Jett, um, Christy Kruger, who became Christy Jett.
0: Yoav Brook.
1: Yoah Brook, Trip Montgomery, Aaron Charla. Uh, it was just a really good group to train with. Matt Busby was in that group and nobody wanted to lose. So on, on any given day, it was kind of get in there and race. Now I had already graduated. So this is now the start of a fifth year program. So I think Auburn was probably one of the first colleges to ever start that fifth year program. Um, and so we, we stuck around to kind of help those guys learn their, not their place, but they had to beat us. And that's how we were kind of giving back to Auburn. Like our, our goal was to make Olympic trials. Like we, we were, none of us were good enough to be thinking, Hey, we want to win the gold medal at any meet. Um, we just wanted to make the Olympic trials. So we kind of started our own little group. And because we're alumni of Auburn uh, coach, Marsh let us train with the group. And so all the new swimmers who were coming up and coming through the program were able to train with us. And so it was kind of like a, those extra people to try to beat. And I think that really worked out well because we were really focused and we were really professional about what we were doing. We, were, we would train each other. Um, when Mark, when David would come in, he would give us sets as well. But a lot of times we were just left on our own to do sets that he would, he would write for us. Um, and then when it was time to do the, the fast sprints, we would jump in with, with the Auburn team. And so it was really a good battle and just being able to race each other all the time is what really helped us go fast.
0: So 94 is when you have kind of your, your breakout year. It's You You did, I think you got fourth at NCAAs. You you make the U.S. national team, I, I believe, to go to the World Championships as well that year. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, 94, I didn't make the SEC team again. So I, I actually never made the SEC team for Auburn. Um, but I did get to go watch uh, that meet. It was, it was a very interesting meet because that, that's the, I don't know if there's any historians out there who know anything about the 94 SEC Championships. Uh, a full-on fight began at that meet uh, After the two hundred freestyle, because we had one, we had four people up in the two free, and uh, one of our guys uh, had flinched and and do- dived in because a, a camera flash was an obvious flash, and so the coaches talked. We got him back up, and so everybody started booing So it became this real. We hadn't won SECs ever in Florida. Was really wanting to win. Um, we, our fourth guy was going to get eighth. It was Oliver Gumbrell, um, and he was told to take it easy because he had the hundred backstroke coming up, and he took it a little too easy. He went a one forty eight from his one thirty eight. Uh, seed time. And so they brought him up on a, uh, lack of participant lack of uh, trying lack of effort rule. So they disqualified him and the crowd went Well, All the Florida guys started cheering that we got disqualified and they did that in front of the wrong guy. So there was an Auburn guy who was a, quite a fighter and, uh, he, he kind of knocked the guy into the pool <laughs> and, uh, it became, it became this thing. He got disqualified for the meet. Um, they had to move our seats. We had to switch with LSU. So it was this real contentious thing, but then Auburn went on to win, to win their first ever secs i got to watch that so after the championship on that night um, i had to do a time trial to see if i could make ncaa since i didn't get the swim to swim the meet so they had a, a 10 p.m time trial at secs where i went 20.2 so super close so we actually the next week had a last chance meet i don't know if auburn invented the last chance meet or they've been doing it for years but it's the first <laughs> i'd ever heard of it so two weeks before ncs i got to do the last chance meet and i actually went 19.7 qualified individually for for NCAAs and got, got to go to that meet and actually swim for the first time.
0: Wow, that's incredible. What was this, What's the secret between those few weeks where you got 20.2 to 19.7?
1: I think it was just a, it was a taper and it wasn't so late at night. I think I, I probably would have been 19.7 uh, that day had, had we not had to wait till 10 o'clock at night after that emotional meet. Mm. Uh, took a lot out of us. And again, I was trying to help out every, every way I could as, as, as a team member, but not on the team because it was a home meet. We had hosted it that year. Um, And then that summer, I had a breakthrough summer where I tied for third place um, with John Olson and Tom Jager had decided he was going to turn down world championships um, because they were going to make him go for six weeks and they wouldn't give him time for his family because USA Swimming was, you have to come on the camp. And if you don't come on the camp, you can't go. And he didn't want to spend that that long away from his wife and his his newborn. Um, And so it was up to me and John, we had to swim off and I won the swim off, so
0: that's, that's nuts. Hang on. First of all, you're, you're not on the SEC team and you're swimming at 10 o'clock at night to try and make a qualifying time. Yeah. And then a few months later, you're going to swim off with John Olson, one of the greatest um, US sprinters of all time. That's a, that's a nonsense transition. From <laughs> well, that a, lot of that,
1: a lot of that had to do with I didn't take off summers anymore. So after my junior year and having to watch NCAAs and dry blocks for people, I decided that probably going home over the summers and being a lifeguard on the beach patrol, which I did every year up until that year was not a good idea. So I actually became a year-round swimmer at that point mm. and didn't take three months off. So I think that really helped with the fact that I stabilized my weight. I was finally up to about 180 from like 160, and I was six foot three. Uh, so I think I finally just started developing. And with Mike Bottom and, and PK's weight program, I started putting on a little bit of weight and a little bit of muscle and so all that training kind of came to a head in 1994 so luckily i did red shirt
0: well, john Olson must have been thinking who the fuck is this
1: guy <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah he john's like he he was one of the, the nicest guys on the national team uh, i didn't know a whole lot of people obviously because i was i was so such a late bloomer and i wasn't very good um, but he he always took he made the hunter freestyle as well so he, he i don't think the pressure was on him to make it uh, but he was he was a super super guy took it took it real well the race and and just always made me feel part of part of the national team
0: so you didn't make finals at, at that um, championship meet, but uh, you obviously had a, an experience. You know What was it what was it like to represent your country for the first time?
1: Yeah, in 94, it, it caught me by surprise because obviously I, by then I'd learned what international swimming was before I didn't even know how, how the system worked. But at that point, I, I did figure it out. And walking on that pool deck, even though I did get 11th place, at that, I, They didn't tell you that between making a meet and getting to a meet, you had to keep training and not eat uh, ice cream all day, every day. Uh, <laughs> I, I gained probably 15 pounds in, in, on that training camp. Um, so it was just walking on that deck. And I actually saw, that's where I first saw Alex. Um, it was it was a, two, two unique situations where I saw him. Uh, first, I they said, hey, look back there behind the stands because we were sitting up in the bleachers. And I looked back and sure enough, there's Alex Popov smoking a cigarette. Just relaxing before he's getting ready to do his warm ups. Um, so that's the first time I saw him. And the next time he walked past me, uh, the day of the 50 free, and I just looked at his calves. That man has Popeye calves. Mm. They're mm. Massive. massive,
0: massive calves. Um, yeah.
1: And so at 180 pounds, six foot three, seeing a six foot six guy with calves the size of my quads was, was quite intimidating. Um, but I, I didn't get to race him in that meet because I, I was in the, the concies
0: yeah a lot of intimidating things about Popoff, but his calves definitely take the cake yeah that that, that, that's
1: all i could really focus on because his calves were up around my eye level it seemed like
0: (laughs) well um and then you know you didn't have the best olympic experiences either you know um, throughout your career and so i guess the first one was 96 where you get to that olympic trials and and just fall short there right
1: yeah I actually took the advice of Mike there and he said I need to take an extra stroke. I'm taking one I'm, I'm going too short. So I actually took a 41st year. I always count up my strokes uh, much like Alec, Alex, I heard his interview he, he does he counts the strokes as well. I, t- I take 40 strokes usually in the 53. Uh, he takes 23 a little how much I have to spin. But I took the 41st circuit trials and end up with 0.05 third place. So I, d- I didn't make that Olympic team. But my goal wasn't to make the Olympic team when I went there. My goal was to make the trials, and I had made the trials. I just put myself in a situation to make the team. So that was, that was kind of cool. Uh, but my goal was never to make the team. It just happened that uh, I got.
0: Do you think uh- – So why would you say that making the Olympic trials was the goal and not the Olympics Uh, for somebody that had represented their country and and was progressing so well and had a great team. And, you know, obviously was in a position to compete. Why, why wouldn't you want to make the Olympic team?
1: I think at the the time there was just the way our training group worked. we were just always trying to beat one another. Um, And, and to, to make the Olympic team was, was never any of our goal. I mean, I, I can't say it wasn't our goal. We did, we did talk about it, but it was kind of more like a, a joke. You would you wouldn't. You, there was no serious, like, hey, you can actually make the Olympic team. Um, I had gotten, you know, top, I made the, the world championship team, but I was 11th at the world championships. Um, in 95, I, went, I, didn't, I only made the qual- qualify for the world university games. I missed the Pan Ams. And so I was always kind of the second tier guy, but I, I always just kept at it. And my goal was to always get faster. It was never to actually make a team or do anything. About it. I just wanted to be a faster swimmer. Um, and just get to the top. So I don't think actually making a team was ever ever a goal. Um, it was just trying to improve myself and, and be faster and how, how can I go faster?
0: So do you think you had that um, I don't know, I don't know how to say this exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this as I think it, but um, <laughs> <I> mean, that's It's <laughs> not always the best question. but you, in terms of just your belief system about yourself, did you just not think you were good enough? Or did you just not um, even um, put your mind in that position to, to think that you were the best in the world?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever even just thought of it. I, my, whole, my whole way I think is just like, how can I make myself the fastest I can be? I never tried to, to beat anybody because in swimming, we're not head to head. I'm not fighting anybody. There's not, I can't do anything about what my opponent is doing. All I can take care of is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I was just concentrated on getting my fastest time. Um, so when I did get third at trials in 96, I actually went my fastest time. So I wasn't, I was disappointed that I didn't make it. I didn't realize how big of a, a deal that was to, to be third. Um, people would tell me later on how big of a deal that is, how, how pit, pitiful they, they felt for me. Um, <laughs> but I, I had just gone my best time ever. Um, so I was pretty pumped about that. Um, obviously, I did, I did hope, you know, Olympic alternate. And, but it, it was disappointing only in the fact that I felt like at 20.55, or sorry. 22.55 which is my time I felt like I should have been at the Olympics because it was the fifth time in the world at that point so why isn't why aren't the best people at the meet um, so I, ne- I I was upset about that but I wasn't upset about not making the team
0: yeah yeah was it hard for you to watch the Olympics in 96
1: yeah I was I, it, I, I did go because coach Marsh gave me a ticket because he was he was on the on the staff and so I, I came and I watched and I watched three people I think it was go 30 point. And then I watched a whole bunch of 28s and 24s and 23s and I was like, we're almost getting to my time. Um, and so see, it, it was, it was more like aggravating just for that. I, I, I just don't agree with the only bring two people rule that we have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's... But yeah,
1: to, to watch, it wasn't, wasn't a disappointment because I never really considered making the team. And I, at that, at that time in my life, I didn't realize it was a big deal.
0: So at this stage you've graduated um, you're you're working on a master's degree, or you finished your master's degree?
1: I started my. I finished my master's degree in '98, so I started in about '96.
0: Okay. Okay. So, um, you're, so you're. Me, in me school. and Dean
1: were sitting around, and he decided he was going to do physical therapy because he quit after '96 trials. Uh, that was my training partner, Dean Hutchinson, and uh, I just I decided to start a, start a master's degree.
0: Yeah. So you decide to do the masters and continue swimming just just because you're getting faster and you're loving it, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, at, after getting third at trials. Um, I decided I was just going to swim to see the world. And I just kept making national teams at that point. So my goal was to actually start making teams and have USA Swimming bring me all over the world and, and, and actually just see the world and experience what there is in, in the world.
0: Yeah. And then 97, you get this. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live Live. And it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching you swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. New training partners, little punk from Australia.
1: <laughs> yeah, we were excited to have you come. Um so again, us being there, it gave me the opportunity to race the, the new guys coming in, and uh, and you had somebody to challenge you. Um, and so win, winning your NCAA's your, right right off the boat was a uh, pretty spectacular. So I was a little bit worried there. Um, so, but it was it was awesome to to be able to race the new guys coming in. So ninety ninety seven when you when you came, it was like I think I had made a uh, Pan Pacific Games that time. Um, did you, I'm not sure if you made the Pan Pacifics, so but you started making teams in 99, 2000.
0: 2000, yeah. I actually went back each year. So I won the NCA's in 97, my freshman year, and thought, uh, oh, wow, this is incredible. Like, I'm I'm one of the fastest guys in the world. And then subsequently for the next three years, I went back to the Australian Trials and didn't finish higher than sixth place each time. I, I just go down there and get whipped. I think a lot of it had to do with the jet lag. A lot of it had to do with the NCA hangover. You know, by the time... NCAs was over we were all kind of like oh let's take a break we're so exhausted mentally and then i'd have to go down to trials and so i just i just didn't make australian team so i didn't get to compete internationally and so i just um you know put it down to the fact that i'm just going to be an ncaa swimmer and enjoy the college experience and and love my team and have training partners like bill pilzik and uh and just love life but yeah that was kind of what i, what yeah. I ended up happening
1: yeah, that that that's that's why Auburn was so great. We just had so many people come through in the in the, in the six years that I was there doing post grad, um, and just just the tra- there was never any animosity. Like I always saw there was there was this rivalry between different people. Like Alex had the, the rivalry with, with Gary, and and it was, that was mostly media. But at Auburn, we were, we were never rivals. We just wanted to like race each other and like see how fast we could go. And I I just I just really loved that.
0: Yeah, and that's and and that really brings us to '98 because uh, I have my side of the story, you have your side of the story, and we can kind of blend them together to to give people a picture of what happened that that championship. So, anyway, you you qualify for the U.S. team, I guess. Uh, who who did you end up beating to qualify for that world championship team?
1: Um, actually, I, don't, I I know Neil Walker was our second guy, um, but it's it, it's funny because a lot of the top guys from '96, so apparently. It, and one of the things I really thought about was I wanted to be just always staying around my time and there the guys who tend to win at the Olympics or go to the Olympics, they would go to Olympic Olympiad to Olympiad, but you'd never hear from them or they wouldn't be any anywhere in the world mm. um, meets in between. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to represent the United States and, and get out there and go to all these meets. Um, so honestly, I, I, I don't think Gary was at that one. Um, and Anthony hadn't come up yet. Um, Gary might have been suspended at that time. I think he had an issue with something that had happened. Um, So me me and Neil Walker um, were were the representatives for for the United States. Um, And it was a really weird world championship because it was January. So I had to spend Christmas at Auburn by myself because we were leaving for for, uh, Australia um, second week of January. So I I couldn't take a break. And Mike Bottom had gone by then so who's coaching you at this stage uh it was as david marsh so as soon as mike bottom had left david just kind of took over he, he had that philosophy that mike had so it wasn't much of a transition so i just kind of um worked with david and and continued the same things
0: yeah so and then you get on a plane and go to australia for the first time
1: it was the, the first time i was i was ever in australia um and it's a, it's an amazing country. Like honestly, if there was another country I would move to, it would definitely be Australia. I'm, I'm kind of finding it hard to believe you've chosen the United States. Um, and you didn't get your family to move to Australia. It's sure it beautiful. <laughs> there, there are a lot of flies in Perth. I didn't I didn't like that, but it was kind of cool. We had a we had a um, a training camp um, for for a few weeks over in Fremantle. Um, and it was, it was just a really good experience. And by then, I was very professional about what I did. Like, you couldn't, I wouldn't stay up late. I would go to bed every night, 10, 11 o'clock. Um, I was eating properly. So it's was, it was like a very professional time in my, my career. And so everything kind of just lined up well for, the, for that meet.
0: So you're just swimming the 50 freestyle there. What day was that on? It's usually towards the end of the meet. Yeah, right? the
1: 50 free was day seven of seven at the time. Mm. Um, so it's always very hard to go through the entire meet and you're required as a national team uh, member to sit at every prelims and every finals. Um, so Brian Jones and I, would, we would sit around and we would uh, make bets on which, who's going to win which heat uh, just to pass the time. Um, but it, it's very boring when you're you're i was only warming up maybe two thousand meters so it wasn't we weren't doing a whole lot of whole lot of yards um so yeah that's very mentally taxing to, to have to do that but by then i'd already done it about six six different times so i'd made every team except for the olympic team that the united states represents
0: that's interesting though because i had very similar experience where every time i'd represent australia i'd have to sit around to day seven day eight to compete and it's, it's tough, right? Because, you know, we had a very similar philosophy in Australia where you'd have to go and um, support your team the whole time. You know? yeah. I remember um, many times, you know, you'd have, you'd have highs and lows in the meet. And, and as a spectator, as a team member, you'd be experiencing the same highs and lows. And so by the time you got to your race, I can specifically remember some big, big meets where I felt exhausted by the time I got there. So it's very hard to manage the emotions during that time, right?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a relief to have it the day you swim because then the coaches will leave you alone and not make you sit with the stands. You can kind of do your own thing. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, finally, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's a relaxation. And you can kind of get into the, uh, the, the meet. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, it, it is taxing. But I had a, I had a very good uh, repetition of what I would do, kind of a ritual. So every day during the meet, I would do that. So I'd do my warm up, i do my breath uh, control, do my stretching. And I'd run through that about four or five times throughout the day. So I would take breaks from, from the meet and kind of go, go off and do that. Hmm.
0: Now you uh, had, you had any more experiences with Alex Popoff up to this stage, you had your 94 thing, but was there anything else in between?
1: No, in between there, was, there was nothing. So I'd only read about um, him in the, in the paper with, with USA today, had a, had a field day with him, him and Gary for, for the 96. And then 97, I was kind of doing the pan packs, which he, he did not come to that meet. Um, so I hadn't seen him until 98 again.
0: Wow. So it's been, it's been about four years now. So what's your mentality now? You're a professional swimmer. You, you're at the World Championships. You're representing your country. Now it's you know, the fifth or sixth time you've done that. So now you must feel like a contender, right?
1: <laughs> well, well, Alex, honestly, he'd never been beat. And I was going for my best time again uh, because that's just how I, how I looked at stuff. And the first, time, the, the first time I ever thought I could beat them was after prelims, and I, I, I dropped a 2270. Um, and it's mostly because I warmed up in the hotel pool, and the hotel pool was about 68 degrees. So I was just bone cold, <laughs> and I never got warmed up for, for the prelims. Why'd you do that? Because they, they told us we had to do wake up swims, and I didn't want to go all the way down to the competition pool. So I just wanted to pop down and do a wake up swim at the, at the hotel pool. And after I jumped in, I knew it was a mistake. Uh, you know, once you get cold, you can't ever warm up. And I just, I just never got warmed up. And it was an outdoor meat as well. So there was no place to stay warm in, in Perth. Um, but yeah, it was, it, I, I didn't really think I could do it. But in between breaks, we, we came back and I'd spoken to Yoav, uh, Brooke, and he had assessed the entire lineup for me. And he said, Bill, you know, you can win this. I said, I, how, how am I going to win this? Yoav? You're absolutely, you're, you're nuts. Like you realize who the guy is over there. And he said, yeah, but you don't understand Michael Clem is between you and him. And he won't be able to see you past Clem Klim, because Clem's got a big head. So he's going to be focused on that head the entire time because they had a really big rivalry. <laughs> so Yo actually believed because Clem going to be there and he's going to get out fast. And Alex always got off slow off the, off the blocks that he was going to be concentrating on, on Mike Clem. And, uh, and sure enough, that, that's how it played out.
0: So your strategy, uh, obviously, for many years was your, your strength was to get off the blocks. I watched the uh, race back um, a couple of hours ago, and it looked to me there was only maybe one other guy that did a track start. So even even track starts back then were pretty limited to only a few people.
1: Yeah, we, we honed that at Auburn with that 15 meter pool. I mean, obviously, you, you, you did it with us. Um, and, but it's it's something that requires a lot of flexibility and a lot of duct tape for that back toe because you're going to do so many push offs on that back foot, um, and just being able to pull off the block against that back foot, which now people take for granted with the wedge because you don't really have to worry about your back foot slipping. But that was a that was a concern for a lot of people, so they chose the two to foot up to start. Um, but we we perfected it. So me and I think it was Brendan um from Florida State or South Africa. Uh who was the other person who did the track start at that meet with, I think Ricky Biscuits did it as well. Ricky
0: Biscuits. Yeah. He was another one that I saw. So this was years in the making. This is, this is a guy who um, walked on to a bunch of different teams, but finally gets to a point where he's a world-class athlete and has trained uh, many years to hone his skills. And this wasn't a fluke. This wasn't um, some lucky day. This was something that was put together over many years, right?
1: Yeah. I had a whole, I, 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 you know, rehearsed this all the way up. So it I, I just actually hit uh, a PB of 0.1. So I was 2239 at, at Pan Pax uh, the year before. And so I only dropped a 10th. It just, it looked like a much bigger drop because my prelims were so, so awful at 2270. Um, so the 222 looked like I just popped it out of nowhere, but I'd gone through uh, methodically uh, right before, while we were in the ready room, uh, we're all still making jokes That that again. <laughs> back the first time I ever met Alex was in the ready room in 94 and he was he and he was just sitting there just talking trash to, to everybody and it didn't really affect me because I thought he was funny as like the funniest guy I'd ever heard like he was just ripping on people about anything um, and so a lot a lot of people took that as he was being cocky or condescending but he's he just that's just a sense of humor and like mm-hmm. I got it immediately and to hear him speak with an Australian accent just made it even th- the funnier Cause he, now he's got a bit more strong uh, Russian accent, but back in, in the nineties, he had a very strong Australian accent mm-hmm. and he'd just be in the ready room. And I remember in 98, he was just sitting there with uh, Peter van and Hugenbaum and they were just, just jibber jabbering back and forth and just talking trash on each other. And it was just, it, it just was comical, but in my routine, I, I would, you know, go off on the side. I would do my stretches. I would do my breathing control. I'd come back and I would talk some trash go back, do my breathing, do my stretches. And then we'd, we'd go out behind the blocks. I'd do my jumps. We had a towel ritual. We'd, we'd rub our arms with towels, step up on the blocks, deep breath. So everything I did, I had done 30 times over in, in, in big meets before that. Uh, and it all just came together at that moment. So 98 was just the year where it all came together for me.
0: So Popoff hadn't been beaten, I think, in you know any number of years, I think seven or eight years. You know, He's the world record holder. He's the Olympic champion double Olympic champion at that stage. No one thinks he's going to get beat, but, um, uh, do you think, does he know who you are at this stage right before the race?
1: Oh, absolutely not. He had no idea who I was. Um, I don't think afterwards he didn't know who I was either in the interviews. <laughs> um, just, it took, it took, it took, him, it took him a little while to figure out my name. Um, but yeah, he, uh, we, we'd never really talked, um, directly. Obviously he knew all the other guys cause they were all perennial national teamers who went to all the different meets with him Cause he, that's, that's another thing I loved about Alex it was he went to every meet like anytime there was an international meet Alex Popov was there so he was a great ambassador for the sport yeah. um, and to see him always be at the meets whereas Americans tend to take off a lot of meets we don't we don't kind of classify them as as top tier meets so we don't send our best people um, but he was always there you could you could he could always expect a, a different guy to race from America um, but he was he was always there. So it was unique that he'd he'd won 92, 94, 96, um, and then to finally to lose 98 for the first time. So that's my son showed up all the time.
0: Yeah, he was he was everywhere, man. But um my side of the story is so obviously there's no internet, there's no, you know, FaceTiming back in 98. So uh, I'm in I'm at Auburn, I'm training at Auburn, and um and I get my dad to call me, I think it was something like three o'clock in the morning Auburn time down in Perth when you're when you're racing I know it was in the middle of the night and uh, I was like dad make sure you call me okay I need to hear this live I gotta I gotta hear Bill (laughs) and so I'm like all right give me a play by play and so dad would have like little pauses in the conversation I'm like dad what's happening like tell me he's like Bill's behind the block like he's stretching how's he look he looks good. (laughs) What's he doing now? Same thing as a minute ago. So, So anyway, dad was like, okay, here we go. Take your marks. Bang bills off bills bills in the lead bill. Like dad's giving me a play by play the whole time. And he's like, as you're, as you're swimming down the pool, I'm getting like, I'm going crazy inside. And I'm like, come on, Bill, come on, Bill. And I knew the first 25 was your strength. And I, and I knew the second 25 was Alex's strength. (laughs) And so I knew Alex was going to come back at you, but dad's, dad's like, giving it to me, like he's he's still in the lead. He's still in the lead. Bill's gonna win this. Bill's gonna win this. And I just remember being at home in my apartment, just screaming like in the middle of the night. Everybody's dead asleep, and I'm just going berserk that my my training partner had just won the world title. I knew how big it was. I don't I don't think other people um, realized how how big it was. But um man, that that was my recollection of it. Did you know that you were in the lead the whole time? Did you know where you were?
1: No, I. I- because Brent Brent Dietekon was right next to me and he has a really good start, so I could sense he was actually with me. I was slightly ahead of him, I could sense I was ahead, but I had no idea on the left side of me what was going on because I had qualified lane six. Uh, so, Clemmy was next to me, we would pop off next to him, so I couldn't really see that side because they were a little further behind. But I knew Dietekon was right up next to me.
0: Did that uh, win change your life in any way? Like, what did it mean to you?
1: Um, it, it, well, I mean, it changed my life in the fact that I got a, an Operation Gold check, which was, which was the first time I had won a significant amount of money for, in the sport, which was – I'm glad to see that's happening more. Hmm. Um, it's allowing people to train more and, and, and get – be actually professional in the sport. Um, so I took the check, and I, I paid off my, all my college loans, so all that time that I'd, I'd spent – I actually wrote one big check uh, to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or whoever had my loan. And I I wrote the entire thing to them and I paid off my my student debt. Wow! Um, So that that really helped me to be able to keep doing what I was doing and train through 2000.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And uh, did you and Alex become friendly in, in any way after that?
1: Yeah. I, I, I've been on a few other, uh, cause we did the Marnostrum tour together. So we had, I actually sat with him on a, uh, he, he won't remember this, but I sat with him on, on one of the rides, um, from Barcelona to Cane uh, on the bus. And we talked to him like everybody else was asleep and we just stayed up and talked. So he, he just told me about his life and, and, uh, he, he's real interesting guys. So we, had, we had good conversation on that bus trip.
0: Oh, that's very cool. I like it. I love it. So then, um, 2000, you have another kind of, well, actually in 2000, uh, I'll let you know this in 2000, when I qualified for my first Olympic team, um, I actually wore a USA swimming swimsuit. I'm not sure if nice. it was, I'm not sure if it was yours or, um, Brock Newman's. I think it may have be Brock Newman's, but I, I wore a USA swimming to qualify for my first olympic team and i swam a 22.29 exactly the same nice. time that exactly the same had won the world champion a couple of years earlier but yeah but a lot of a lot of um you know the things that i learned in that time at auburn were, were coming directly from you i mean you were you to me had like a phd in sprinting it was like you were a master of sprinting it was like you understood it and you were able to articulate it and you were able to um you know explain why you were doing the things that you're doing and, and to me they made perfect sense
1: I think it helped that I was so bad and I had to teach myself everything from scratch whereas some people with a whole lot of talent um, they're already fast and you're just kind mm-hmm. of tweaking things I was terrible so like every little thing somebody had to tell me what I was doing wrong and I had to make the adjustments and figure out why this is wrong so it, it helped me to be, to, ex- to be able to explain it like uh, breathing. Somebody once told me that my breath is terrible. If I, if I didn't take a breath, I would be much faster. Um, and so we, we cut out breathing. So that, that was one of our first things. And we could see an immediate drop of 0.2 seconds. Um, cause when I, when I would breathe, I would hitch my, hitch my arm, my stroker would, would, would it would slow down. Um, and so we just got rid of breathing. So we weren't allowed to breathe anymore. So we just did a whole lot of hypoxic work. So little, little tiny details in the 50, you could see immediate feedback, especially in that 15 meter pool. Um, where we do like three laps in the 15 meter pool. So we could see if our, if our turns or our starts or our dives or breakouts like little details, uh, would be magnified in there. And that, re- that really helped.
0: Now what about in 2000 missing the team? Was it a lot more difficult this time than it was in 96?
1: Yeah, I think that, that one was a little more difficult. I thought I had a, a chance to actually, I wanted to that my goal was to make that team. Um, and not making it, I was a bit frustrated with that one because the, the new suits had come out and they sprung it on us like three months before that, hey, by the way, you're going to be allowed to wear these compression suits that we, they were working on. And, and I had mixed feelings about it. Um, I think I did an interview with USA Swimming. I, I, I said it was unfair. So Speeder did not like that I'd said that. Um, but I can see the advantage of the suits. I just didn't like that they did it right before trials and we didn't have enough time to, to prep in them yeah um, so that that to me was just, it threw me kind of off my game
0: yeah i re- I remember that that threw a lot of people off for for many years in you know, between kind of 99 when they started to first come out to 2009 when we had that suit fiasco then but um yeah for for a period of 10 years it was it was every yeah. every new and- competition there was a new suit coming out
1: yeah, and I'm. I I do like the suits now. I think it's great for the sport because they're going to bring. It brings money into our sport. We can we we can actually pay our, our pro athletes more with that with that money. So I actually I do like them now. I just wish they would make a, a, a few different rules, and I wish they hadn't brought them out right before the Olympic Trials.
0: Was it easier for you to see that the U.S. went on to win um, the gold? Both the guys tied for gold, or yeah, was that, 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 that make that, it harder.
1: No, actually, I had moved on by then. I, I'd actually uh, applied into the Navy, so I'd, I'd been accepted to go in the Navy. So I knew after Olympics, I was I was going to the Navy re- regardless. Um, so when I didn't make it that night, I actually started running stairs and started training for that. So it was it was kind of seamless, like a. Oh, nice. Okay, okay.
0: And then, when did you finally decide to hang it up completely?
1: Um, I'd hurt myself training for the Navy, so I, I I continued to train at Auburn, and I was in the doing a doing a PK circuit. And I, I had been on the, the bear squat machine and, and somebody was bouncing on the bear squat machine trying to t- trying to encourage us. That's the, the machine where you put the... Uh, the yeah, you're, you're kind of doing squats um, and the weight is kind of hinged out on a lever system. Somebody mm-hmm. stood on the lever jumping up and down and kind of tweaked my back. Um, and that kind of ended both my swimming career and my Navy career. Cause I had found out I had a, a degenerative disease in my in my lower spine that wouldn't allow me to Get the torque i used to get anymore so i, I had to quit swimming because of that that injury
0: oh wow what year was that 2000 2000 oh, okay
1: Sorry. yeah so no, november 2000 i was planning i was supposed to report to the navy for uh january and i oh. hurt myself in november so i thought it was just a little tweak in my back and it, it just never went away and i got x-rays and it turned out i had a uh, three bulge discs
0: wow So looking back on your career, how do you feel about, you know, where you started and where you ended? What, what are the feelings like for you?
1: Yeah, I think, I think I sacrificed Like I became a very disciplined person where, whereas before when I was younger, I was not disciplined whatsoever. So I think to get to the level I got to, which I had no business getting to, um, it was just tearing away every little bit of uh, having fun, being free, being carefree. I like, I was, I became a very, um, locked in person with, with everything that I did. So I think that that's kind of good. And that's kind of bad. Um, but I definitely learned a lot about myself and, and realized that I, I could do anything I put my mind to but it just takes a lot more work and effort than I thought it would take uh, when I was younger.
0: What about uh, now? Do you, do your kids that you're coaching, do they know that you're a former world champion and that you swam one of the, you know, swims of the decade?
1: Yeah, they, they, uh, every about every September, October, they, they, they play it for the, the new people. And I, I get razzed a little bit about it. Um, so they, they are, they are aware. <laughs> and then they say, Oh, but you're not an Olympian. american swimmers are only judged if they made the olympic team yeah
0: well there's going to be a few third place finishes in the next few months and so um it's it's definitely one of those places in america you don't want to end up but you know you you learn to make the most of it um somehow you know
1: yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I, I do try to give them back what I learned, and I, I try to make, give it, again, I'm, I'm at NAI level here, um, so I'm trying to give them the Division One feel, um, I try to, to do everything the way we did it at Auburn, kind of, just that, that whole mentality, and I kind of trained them for the 200 free, and we, and we worked down and up from there, um, so it, it's, it, it's nice that I can give back to the, to the swing community.
0: How do you balance between the, your physiology background and then your psychology, obviously, of winning a world title and, and being in a certain headspace? Um, what, what's the balance like for you?
1: Um, how do you mean?
0: Well, wh- what do you lean more towards? You obviously, do you lean more towards the, the physiology, or do you try and blend in the two of like the, the art and the science type thing?
1: Well, yeah, you, everybody, all, all coaches have a plan. So my plan is straight up physiology based. I, this is what I want them to do. This is how I want them to do it. And then when a the season unfolds, you can see that you got to th- throw that out and, and start again from where you're at because always something's going to come up. So you have to be kind of flexible. And that's where the artistic part of coaching and, and being a swimmer is because you have this plan, you have these energy systems you want to hit, you have these goals for the year and if people are hitting it or they're not hitting it, you have to make adjustments on the fly um, and, the, and the coaches and swimmers who can make those adjustments in those tweaks are the ones who usually have the most success.
0: Yeah. Now are you happy where you're at now you have plans to get into division one at all, or are you just going to, are you pretty set where you're at?
1: Uh, at the moment, my, my children are just starting high school. Uh, so I have, I have about four more years that I, I plan to stay in this area. Um, if, if An opportunity came up, obviously I I'd have to consider a few, a few uh, changes, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I, I would like to coach division one at some point or uh, switch jobs completely. We'll see which, which direction I go.
0: Nice. Nice. Well, listen, man, it's been awesome catching up and just kind of sharing your story a little bit. Part of the podcast is really just documenting some history. And so I'm glad we kind of were able to document your journey to the, to the world title. Is there anything that I missed?
1: Uh, I did set the American record sure course meters. Um, but that was a 99 and that was a uh, coming off of Pan over my second Pan Packs where I was sick. And I went to this meet with, uh, a, a, it was the Bank of America short course meters meet. That, that was kind of cool to to get up. And after Packs, we went straight to Colorado Springs. I'm not sure if you were on that trip or not, 99. We started mm-hmm. the year off in September and we went out to Colorado Springs and there was a Bank of America. So they flew me over to, to San Diego for that. And I popped a 21-5 randomly in, in, in the prelim. So it became this thing where I, I, maybe, maybe Bill's got a chance to set the American record. So. I actually set the American record twenty one five in my third try, where I let off a relay.
0: Wow! It's I mean, your story is just ridiculous. To to think that you're lifeguarding on a beach and then, <laughs> you know, you become world champion, American record holder, fastest in American history. I mean, it's it's nuts. I mean, is there any part of the story that we've missed in terms of like? I mean, there's a talent component. You've got to have some talent. You've got to have your work ethic. Is there anything else that? you try and instill in your athletes to say like look because like your story is one of those ones is like look if i can do it anyone can do it is that the truth
1: it is but you have to like some people have to sacrifice more than they're willing to sacrifice right and so like swimming was a thing that i wanted to do like I, I i couldn't even see what i wanted to like career-wise i didn't have a career i just knew i wanted to swim and i wanted to be beat everyone i went up against to go my fastest time and so i sacrificed a lot of things that most people would never sacrifice right to get to where they wanted to go. So since my goal was swimming, I could sacrifice all these things. Um, Whereas some people were, especially when I'm coaching, um, here that they, they're not willing to make the sacrifice to get to where they could be. Um, and I just made a whole lot of sacrifices.
0: Is that frustrating for you as a coach or how do you, how do you come to terms with that?
1: Uh, you have to just talk with the athlete and, and find out truly what they want. Cause a lot of times an athlete will tell you they want something. And then you can say, here's how you do it. And then you can see they are going to try that or they're not going to try that. And you, you can only tell them what to do. You can't make them do it, but anybody can do anything they want if they're willing to make the, the sacrifice.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing story, man. I'm glad we got to document it. So I appreciate your time today, Bill. Thanks somebody.
1: Thanks for appreciate
0: it. Yeah, man. Take care. All right.
1: Yeah. See you, bud.